And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. I recently saw an online survey that listed all the qualities that people expect from perfect pastors. Here they are. Number one, the perfect pastor preaches exactly 12 minutes. Number two, the perfect pastor is 28 years of age, but has been preaching for 30 years. Number three, the perfect pastor works from eight o'clock in the morning until midnight every day, but also serves as the church custodian. Number four, the perfect pastor frequently condemns sin, but never upsets anyone. Number five, the perfect pastor wears very fine clothes, drives a very nice car, gives generously to the poor, but makes a very low salary. Number six, the perfect pastor makes 15 daily visits to church members. He also visits the homebound and he visits everyone in the hospital. Number seven, the perfect pastor spends all of their time evangelizing the unreached, but they're always in the office when you need to reach them. Finally, the perfect pastor is very handsome, very good looking. And of course, we know there's no such thing as the perfect pastor. But here's the truth. There's no such thing as the perfect church member. You know, in my, <laughs> yeah, in my 18 years here, on more than one occasion, I had people get upset about this, that, or the other. And they'd turn to me and say, you know, Pastor Terrell, we're going to leave and we're going to find the perfect church. And I would just smile. I never told him this, but I'll tell you what I was thinking. Yeah, and when you get there, it's not going to be the perfect church anymore. <laughs> well, guys, here's the truth. As our society and as our culture is changing, it's getting more challenging for everyone, but especially for pastors. It's a lot more challenging to pastor in a COVID environment where you, you don't know what the government's saying or or not saying and what to do and what not to do. My last Sunday here, a little over a year ago, my last Sunday, I had somebody come down this way after service and they were upset that everybody was not wearing a face mask. I had somebody come down this side and they were upset that anybody was wearing a face mask. And I thought, you need the wisdom of Solomon. Well, the COVID thing, but also social media, because did you know there are some people, I'm sure nobody at Evangel does it, but in some churches, some people are tweeting out what they don't like about the sermon in the first five minutes. Now, you didn't used to be able to do that when I got started. Well, my goal is I want to finish well, not just in past seasons, but in the season I'm in now. As I'm in the last, Kathy and I are in the last 25% of our lives, we want to finish well. And we know that the Apostle Paul finished well, and my prayer is that you will finish well as well, okay? That's an oxymoron, as well, as well. Here we go. I want you to start reading with me in verse 7. In fact, that may be the only verse we'll read this morning. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want you to repeat that with me. Read it aloud and loudly. Come on, use your best voice. Let's raise the rafters. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Not too many years back, a 
preacher put on army fatigues and he came out on the platform and he began reading from this verse of scripture and he says, we're called to fight the devil. Somebody gave me a copy of the message. I listened to it and I thought, well, you know, there's a dimension where we're in a wrestling match. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, but we're really not called to fight the devil. Here's the reason. Because Jesus defeated the devil at Calvary. What you and I are called to do is to reinforce his defeat. It says in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them, King James Version, triumphing over them in it. We're called to reinforce the devil's defeat. And you say, well, if the devil's been defeated, why Why do we have this thing called warfare? It's because he's not yet been annihilated. One day he will be thrown into a lake of fire. One day everything's going to be wrapped up. But until that day, Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, the very God of peace is crushing Satan under your feet shortly. And when Paul says, I fought the good fight, he's talking about fighting the good fight of faith. Now he had come to the end of his life. Shortly after he finished writing this, church history tells us that Nero put him on a cross and crucified the Apostle Paul. Let me share with you this morning three reasons that Paul finished well and three reasons that you can finish well. Number one, Paul finished well because, finished well because he wasn't afraid of being persecuted by a cancel culture. I hesitated there because I'm used to looking up this way and seeing the, seeing, seeing the notes, but it, it's now it's down here. Paul finished well because he wasn't afraid of being persecuted by a cancel culture. Now let's just talk about that. What does that mean? In the 1960s, guys, those of you that were around, you will remember that the values of the church and the values of our society and culture were pretty much one and the same. But things began to change in the end of the 60s as we got into the 70s because the free love movement began to start. And there there came to be cracks in our foundations. And suddenly there was a difference between the church and the world. And then in the 1980s, in the 1990s, in the year 2000, how many of you remember going through Y2K? Yeah. I mean, suddenly you could tell there was a huge difference between the values of the church and the values of the scripture and the values of society. And then we had September 2nd, 2001. What happened? World Trade Centers were attacked and destroyed. The Pentagon was destroyed. And for about three months in the United States following that time, you could go to courthouses in New York City and you could hear people breaking out spontaneously into God bless America, land that I love. There was prayer going on. The Billy Graham Association put sidewalk prayer evangelists all over New York City and people were lining up for prayer for blocks. And it lasted for about three months. And then things kind of got back to normal. And suddenly we found ourselves back with this huge cultural and social 
divide today. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's a racial divide, and sometimes it's an economic divide, and sometimes it's just a values divide between the Bible and between society, and here we are in 2021. And that's what we're living with. We're drifting further and further away from the Judeo-Christian ethic and values. Our culture is embracing a new morality, a new vision, and sometimes, sometimes even in 2021, some of the things that we say we can get by with. Did you know you can still walk down the street and say, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And people aren't gonna say too much about that. Somebody might kid you, but you can still say, I love Jesus. You could um, go on social media and you could type out the 23rd Psalm and put it on Facebook and people aren't gonna say too much about that. On your lunch break, you may step outside your office door and sing a stanza from Amazing Grace and somebody might even say that was beautiful. Let me remind you where we came from. Back in the 60s, Amazing Grace was number one on the rock and roll charts. Now people say, ah, oh, interesting. But if you posted online, you said, I believe with all my heart that marriage is ordained by God. And marriage ordained by God is between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And God did not plan for marriage to be between people of the same gender. It's not for men with men and women with women. Let me tell you, somebody is going to rise up and threaten to take your Facebook page down. If you take a, a megaphone and on game day at Florida State, and thank God they have won a couple of games. <laughs> but you take a, a megaphone over to Landis Green and on game day, you stand and you begin to proclaim, I believe that abortion is morally wrong. I believe that it's wrong that in the first trimester that children called embryos who are really babies are able to be suctioned out of their mother's wombs. I believe that this is very wrong. I believe that it is murder. You're going to get somebody in your face. Let me tell you where we've come to. You could stand in a lot of pulpits, not here at Evangel, and not at a number of churches in Tallahassee, but there are some churches in Tallahassee, if you stand in the pulpit and you say, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun, you're going to have people in your face saying, we don't want to hear about hell. 30 years ago, Kathy and I had pioneered a church up in the Chicago area. We'd finally grown it from 30 people Thank God we'd gotten up to about 450, 500 people. And we had a lady that sat over on the left-hand side. She wrote me a letter. I got it on a Tuesday. She said, Dear Pastor Terrell, I love our church. I love to hear you preach the Word of God. She says, But I don't like to hear about hell. It makes me nervous. I don't sleep so well. 
Could you please never mention hell again in one of your sermons? I wrote her back. I said, my dear friend, I don't like the subject of hell either. But I didn't write it. It's not my idea. I said, if you'll check, Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. In fact, Jesus said that hell is a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. In other words, though people may go to hell, that's not the end of things. There's eternal torment. And dear ones, more and more today, universalism is being accepted in a lot of Christian places. Universalism basically teaches that God's such a God of love and such a God of mercy and such a God of grace, and I agree with those three statements. But they say he's such a God of love that he's not gonna allow anybody to go to hell. Everybody is gonna be saved. Everybody will make their way to heaven. It doesn't matter what kind of life they live. Doesn't matter what decisions they make. Doesn't matter whether or not they serve Jesus Christ as the King and Lord of their life. Everybody goes to heaven. Dear ones, universalists take a right premise and come to a wrong conclusion. The right premise is from Hebrews chapter two, verse nine, which says Jesus has tasted death for every man. That's true. Thank God Jesus tasted death for me. I deserve eternity separated from God. I deserve to spend eternity in hell, but God had grace on me. Thank God that Jesus tasted death. That's the premise. But the conclusion they come to is wrong. They say Jesus tasted death for every man, therefore everyone is saved. There's a problem with that. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't be saved apart from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be saved apart from the shed blood of Christ. You can't be saved apart from the name of Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached and he said these words. He says, I want you to repent for the remission of sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Mm. There's some today that want to say, well, Terrell, I know what you say is true and I know it's in the Bible, but why do we want to alienate people? Let's just make friends and influence people to the best we can. And let's preach the gospel and let's love people. And let's be good neighbors and let's be like the good Samaritan and let's just do good works and, and just let it go at that. What they're really saying is, listen, let's compromise on a few things. Let's compromise on same-sex marriage. Let's compromise. Let's compromise on fornication. Let's, let's compromise on abortion. Let's compromise on the doctrine of hell. Guys, I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me really, really good, okay? 
If you are struggling today with same-sex attraction, if you are tempted with same-sex attraction, don't keep it to yourself. Go to one of your pastors. Go to somebody who's a trusted, mature Christian. Confess it to them and ask them to pray with you. See, there's something about bringing temptation into the light that loosens the devil's hold. Conversely, let me say, if you are struggling with heterosexual temptation, you may be a married person, but you've got strongholds in your mind. Remember, a stronghold is a thought that holds you strongly that's contrary to the will of God and the word of God. And Paul says, casting down strongholds and every high and lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ is a thought. If those thoughts are, 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 are battling, if you're battling those thoughts, or maybe you're being tempted with drugs or alcohol, or maybe you're being tempted in some other way, whatever it is, go to one of these pastors, go to, one, to somebody that's strong in the Lord and say, pray for me, get it out in the open. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, Paul the apostle was not a bigot. He was not a hater. He was not homophobia. He wasn't homotrans. The apostle Paul loved people and he spoke truth in love. And that's what we've got to do. You know, the problem really is that we as Christians, we tried to preach Christian morality to a non-Christian world, and so they think we're a bunch of legalists. And that's really what we've done. We tried to treat, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he founded the church at Corinth, I mean, he spent 18 months there on his second missionary journey. He founds the church, and then he gets a letter saying, hey, Paul, we got some problems. Man, did they have problems. You remember, they had division in the church. Then they had a case of incest in the church. A man was living with his stepmother. And he says, you're puffed up over this thing rather than dealing with it. You, are, you need to put the guy out of the church. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, forgive the man now. Forgive him and bring him back if he's repented. And I forgive him too. You'll find him saying that's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. But Paul had to deal with incest. Chapter 6, he has to deal with adultery. That's the reason Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body. He that commits sexual sin, and that's what it is, flee fornication. It's the word pornea, which means sexual sin of any kind, heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, whatever it is. He says, flee it. Run away from it. Just, just don't put up with it. He says, every sin that a man commits is outside the body. The person that commits sexual sin sins against her body. You say, how in the world... Does that happen? Well, we sin against the very image of Christ inside us. See, there's nothing more fundamental to who you are than your genitals. Forgive me for being blunt, but it's true. What was the first thing said about you when you were born? It's a boy or it's a girl. And Paul says, flee. Because you're sinning against yourself. You're sinning against the very image of Christ inside you. You're subjecting yourself to sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted, unplanned pregnancies, and all kinds of problems. 
Real needs are not met by a romp in the sack. Real needs are met by caring, loving friends that'll speak truth to one another. And if you're struggling, man, if you're being tempted in any way, don't cover it up. That's right, that, that's, you know, there's all kinds of people who've had seasons in their life where they love Jesus, but they didn't finish well because they had secret temptations that they said, well, if I tell anybody about this, they'll think bad about me. Quit, you know, people don't think nearly as much about you as you think they do. It's like the lady who came to me one day and, and she said, there are two ladies out there in the foyer and they're talking about me. I want you to go tell them to stop it. I said, they are? I said, are you sure they're talking about you? So I said, come with me. We walked back there. Those two ladies were talking about bacon apple pies. They weren't talking about her. The problem, she was a legend in her own mind. Yeah. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you, that you may be healed. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, why don't we just compromise on a few things, Pastor? I mean, let, let's compromise on same-sex marriage and abortion and the, the subject of hell. Well, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. Let me read it to you. It says, that you may distinguish between the holy and the unholy, between the unclean and between the clean. Holiness is as important to Jesus. I'm not talking about legalism, but holiness of heart and life. In the Assemblies of God, we have a doctrine called progressive sanctification. And we believe that when you be born again, that what God wants to do is every day he wants you to be more like Jesus. Every day more like him. Every day growing in sanctification. Mm. The Apostle Paul was not a hater. He wasn't a bigot. He was, he, he was ready to give reason of the hope that is within him. He spoke the truth in love. He remembered what Jesus has said in Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, he says, but we are ambassadors for Christ. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, but earnestly contend for the faith that was once of all delivered to the saints. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, he writes about Christian marriage and he says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. What a novel idea. Do you know that Josephus, a Jewish historian, he says that nobody in the first century was telling men to love their wives in the entire Roman world. Until here comes the Apostle Paul. Men, love your wives like Christ loves the church. And we wonder why some of the leading women of Rome decided to follow the way of the Nazarene, the way of Christ. It's because there was something that rang in their hearts as truth. They said, that's right. My husband is to love me. My husband is to be faithful to me. That is God's plan. That's the way it's supposed to be. Again, Paul, 
Paul was speaking truth and love. Guys, what I'm saying here, and I'll try to hurry through these other points. If you and I are going to finish well, we cannot be afraid of being persecuted by a cancel culture. But we do have to know what God's Word says. And we've got to know how we're going to respond. Okay? Number two, Paul finished well because he embraced a biblical worldview. Very quickly, what's a biblical worldview? Well, you have a worldview. There is a way that you view the world. There's a lens that you use to interpret what is happening. When you look at the news feed on your telephone or however it comes to you, maybe in a newspaper, you've got a filter, you've got a perspective, you've got a paradigm by which you're viewing that information and you're making decisions and you're interpreting what's happening. What I'm telling you is that if you want to finish well, you need to say, Jesus, would you help me to have a biblical worldview? Jesus, would you help me? See, I often... I often will take the Bible and just put it on my head and say, Jesus, the scripture says my mind is to be renewed and be transformed, that I'm to have the mind of Christ and that I'm to be spiritually minded. Lord God, I receive a spiritual mind. I receive a renewed mind. I receive a transformed mind. I cast down every stronghold that would raise itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And Lord Jesus, you work in me. And if I've got stuff inside me that's not supposed to be there, Jesus, I want you to remove it. And God, I give you permission to hit me upside the head with a two by four if needed. But Lord, get my attention. Hallelujah. How are we doing on time? Let me, let me just. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, Pastor Donnie and I, Pastor Ryan was out of town, but Pastor Donnie and I conducted a funeral for Mr. Raymond Pace, who used to attend Evangel. He used to sit right over here in this second section. He started coming to church. I've known, known, known the family my entire life. I conducted a funeral for his son, who was a year younger than me in 2009. In 2017, I conducted his wife's funeral. After his wife's funeral, I went to see Brother Raymond. I called him Brother Raymond because he came back to church. I encouraged him. I said, would you come back to church? He came back to Evangel. He dedicated his life to the Lord. He's, he's Faye Hook's brother-in-law. His wife was Faye's sister. He re recommitted his life to the Lord. He would come. He would wear red flannel shirts on Sunday morning with suspenders. My dad used to wear suspenders and a belt. And I used to tell him, don't you know, Dad, that a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways? <laughs> well, Raymond wore suspenders. And he got very sick, and 10 months ago, he moved down to Tampa and was with his daughter, and he passed away. But God gave him a long life, and he lived for the Lord. Now, yesterday at his funeral, there were a few tears 
But nobody was losing it. Nobody was going bonkers because people knew that Raymond Pace loved Jesus Christ with all his heart. He was living for the Lord. And the Bible says when you have a biblical worldview, you understand that the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You understand the Bible says that though we sorrow, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We realize that yesterday we weren't saying goodbye to Raymond Pace. We were just saying, we'll see you later because we're going to see him again. One day the trumpet of God's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise. And those of us that remain, we're going to rise to be with him with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm trying. So that's a biblical worldview on death. Oh, it hurts. It stings, especially when it's a young person. There are many of you that have lost husbands and lost wives when I was your pastor, and it just broke my heart. But it doesn't break my heart eternally. Now, I have also been around dozens and dozens and dozens of unbelievers when they die. I've been with unbelieving families. I'm gonna tell you something. They don't have the same response. They lose it. I mean, they go bonkers. They go crazy. They, I mean, the fountain of tears cannot be shut. It's all over with for them because for them, death is final. Dear ones, I hope that illustrates for you the difference between a biblical worldview and a non-biblical worldview. Let me hurry up and finish this. Number three, Paul finished well, and you and I can finish well because he purposed not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. He chose not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, I know because he wrote it to the Ephesians, but I know right here in this chapter, there's a verse I want to show you He says in verse 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Look at verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you. How many of you realize this was a miracle? It's a miracle because John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas, In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas go on their very first missionary journey together. They take John Mark, but somewhere along the line, and you read it in chapter 13, Mark leaves them, and he goes back to Jerusalem. He says, I don't want this missionary stuff. This is too hard. I'm going to give this ministry stuff to Pastor Ryan and Andrea. They can handle it. Chapter 14 of Acts goes by, then chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas get together one day for coffee and said, hey, let's go back and visit all the churches we started back there in chapter 13. Only they didn't know it was chapter 13. And Barnabas said, that's a great idea. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, no way, Jose. 
We are not taking the guy that left us. We are not taking the fellow that abandoned us. We're not going to take the turncoat with us. He is not going. And the Bible says that the tension got so heated between Paul and Barnabas that they went their separate ways. And Paul takes um, Silas. He takes Silas and they go on their second missionary journey. Barnabas takes John Mark and they take off for Cyprus and you never hear from Barnabas again. But guess what's happening right here? The man who parted company with Barnabas because of John Mark, he says, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for ministry. Dear ones, history says that John Mark not only ministered with Paul, but he ended up traveling with Peter and he wrote the gospel of Mark from Peter's sermons. That's the reason when you read the gospel of Mark, Peter never looks good because Peter didn't make himself look good in his own sermons. He talked about his fault, his faults. And that's what Mark recorded. Okay. Now what's the scriptural, what's the scriptural undergirding for not grieving the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, it's Ephesians chapter four. Take your Bibles, turn over there. We'll, we'll close with this. Ephesians chapter four, verses 30 and 32. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Do we have that scripture on the screen? Here we go. And do not, what does it say? Grieve. That word grieve means to wound. It means to bruise. It means to bring sorrow. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means the Holy Spirit is our down payment on all eternity. How do you know that you're saved? Because the Holy Ghost is in you. How do you know heaven's going to be your home one day? Because of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, harsh words, evil speaking, slander be put away with you with all malice and evil behavior and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do not grieve, don't wound, don't bruise, don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, how do we do that? He tells us in verse 31. We do it by dealing with bitterness, unfulfilled revenge in our hearts, by dealing with wrath and anger and clamor and harsh words and evil speaking, slander, put it away from you, along with evil behavior like malice. And he says, here's the way you do that. He says, you do it by being tenderhearted and forgiving. Now, these are operable words. Underline them in your Bible if they're not, or highlight them, or on your phone or however, your, your device. Forgiving even as God in Christ has forgiven you. How does God in Christ forgive you and me? Does God in Christ say, okay, Gary, I'm going to forgive you for what you did, but I'm going to tell everybody about it. Is God a blabbermouth? He takes our sins and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He takes them and put them in a sea of forgetfulness. Your sins and lawful deeds I will remember no more, says Jeremiah, says the Lord through Jeremiah. How does God forgive us? Does he say, well, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, but you know what? One day, one day you're going to pay a price for it. One day you're going to reap what you sowed. Does he do that? But how do we forgive? We forgive sometimes in degrees, don't we? 
Well, I'll forgive them, but I'm sure not going to talk to them. Well, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm sure praying that they're going to reap what they sowed. Come on. If that's going on in your heart, it's because there's this thing called bitterness. Dears, for, for years I had bitterness in my heart. And I was a pastor and I didn't even know it. Oh, I prayed prayers of forgiveness when people treated me wrong. I would, I would say, I forgive them. But then I tried to put it out of my mind. What I didn't do is I didn't deal with that painful emotion that was down in my heart. I just stuffed it down. In the Assemblies of God, we have a bylaw. And it says that when a pastor, he may have served a church like I did, like this church for 18 years. But when I step down, I am not to interfere with the life of the church. I'm to bless the church. I don't even show up unless I'm invited. In fact, the times that Kathy and I have worshiped with you, Ryan and Andrew will tell you, we've called them and asked, can we come and join you? Because we don't want to cause a problem for them. And I don't want to get, people need to, you need to bond with Ryan and Andrea and not, not with Kathy and I because we're no longer your pastors. But that's hard for some preachers. And I took over a church one time and the previous pastor was going to become an evangelist and he was moving a thousand miles away and I thought, I'll never have any more problems. Boy, I was mistaken. Three months after I arrived there, he showed up. He called me. He says, hey, I'm in town. I want to preach Sunday. I said, you do? I already had my message. I let him preach because I thought it was the thing to do. That morning, we didn't have a Sunday night service. That morning, he announced, he says, hey, we're just going to meet tonight and have church. I said, we are? So we did. And then he announced, he said, Monday night, I'm going to be at so-and-so's house. And Tuesday night, I'm going to be at somebody else's house. And Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday. He says, all week long, I'm having home meetings. You all come. Now, we were having a hard time making our budget. And I noticed the next Sunday, we had a really low offering. And I had several people come and say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I went to this home meeting. And, and so I, I gave my money over here. And, and I'm thinking, now, something's wrong with this picture. Number one, I didn't invite him. Number two, he's taking the tithes and offerings out of the church. I didn't say a word. I thought, no, I'm going to be a good pastor. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm just going to trust God. And it's good, guys. Many, many things. If we, if you, a whole lot of things are not worth losing sleep over. Okay? The problem is that three months later, it happened again. And then three months after that, it happened again. He called and says, I'm in town. I says, well, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll come to church tomorrow because I'm going to preach a good message. He was upset that I wasn't letting him preach. He ended up sending a letter to the entire congregation. This was in the years before email. He sent a letter to the entire congregation. He said, Pastor Terrell is a Diotrephes. If you don't know who Diotrephes was, go to the third chapter of John. And in John's third epistle, he writes this. He says, Diotrephes, he says, I wanted to come and preach for you, but Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence among the brethren. He was the pastor, and he wouldn't let the Apostle John go there and preach. And that's what this man said about me. He says, I'd like to come, but Pastor Cheryl won't let me come. Well, I'd let him come three times that year. You know, I didn't bring in any evangelist more than 
more than once, usually a year, when I was here. Well, that man kept writing his letters and making his calls. And I started losing church members and people were upset at Kathy and I and we couldn't figure out why. We didn't know what he had done. But somebody had told me, he said, you know, just set your will on forgiveness because pastors get hurt sometimes and you just got to forgive. So I said, okay, I forgive. I said the words, I forgive and I forgive him. I forgive his wife. I forgive people that have gotten upset about things they don't even really understand. And I forgive. But what I didn't do is I didn't deal with the hurt. See, when people say and do things that they shouldn't do, many times it creates hurt. And I didn't deal with the hurt. I didn't even want to acknowledge that it was hurt because I thought I'm strong. What is that truck commercial? Like a rock. (laughs) Strong as I could be, like a rock. Nothing ever bothered me, like a rock. But the truth, things were bothering me and things were hurting. And somebody had to help me to understand, Terrell, you got a lot of unforgiveness and you really have bitterness. You've got unfulfilled revenge down inside you. Because I could be riding down the road, my mind up thinking about the ball game and suddenly I'm thinking about that guy and what he did and I'm getting angry. If that happens to you, dear ones, that's a warning signal that there may be some bitterness that you need to deal with. Because what that does is it grieves the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit really well? Come on. How how many of you want to be like Jesus? We don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. And so many times this stuff gets inside us. And because we've only forgiven by degrees, we're still... See, if Paul had only forgiven John Mark by degrees, well, I forgive John Mark, but he'll never make it in ministry. If he had had that attitude, he'd never said, bring John Mark because he's useful to me for the ministry. Dear ones, look at me. The world is changing. Many have a vision for the world that does not include the Word of God. How are we going to finish well? We're going to finish well, number one, by not fearing to be persecuted by a canceled culture, but to be bold and walk in love and walk in truth. Number two, how are we going to make it? We're going to make it by embracing a biblical worldview. Number three, we've got a purpose. Say, Jesus, would you help me not to grieve, not to bring pain to your Holy Spirit, but Lord, help me to walk in love and forgiveness and help me to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven me. Kathy and I love you guys. We pray for you, if not every day, every other day. I believe God's got great things in store for Evangel under Pastor Ryan and Pastor Andrea's leadership. Thank you for letting us come today. Tell you what we want to do. It's harder It's harder to pastor today than it was when I first got started. There are a lot of reasons for that. One is just the the big divide that's in our nation today. It's harder to be a student, I'm sure. It's harder to be in public school or even Christian schools. 
It's harder because of social media. Social media is great when it works great, but sometimes people use it to stir up so much strife. Sometimes it'd take me weeks to unstir some of the things people used to do. And it's hard to pastor in this COVID environment. It's almost like we've seen a falling away in America. I'll tell you how I'd like to close this the service. I'd like for Pastor Ryan and Andrea, Pastor Mike, and your wife. Come on up here. Is Pastor John in here? Is he in Children's Church? Is this Pastor John? John? Come on, is this your wife? want the deacons, I'd like the board members to come up here. And I'd even like past board members. If there's ever been a time in the life of this congregation where you've served as a board member, I want you to come up here. Paul, Mavis, come on up. I can't see. It's Jim Bussey. Jim Bussey in here. Carolyn, you come on up here. Your husband was a board member for a lot of years. Come on. If you serve in any capacity, in the church, Donnie and Nancy, you guys need to be up here. If you serve in any capacity in this church, whether it's parking cars or whether it's taking care of babies, worship ministry, sound ministry, you know all the ministries better than I do. I want you to come and stand right across the front. And just stand close to people that you're related to. If you serve in any capacity, Come on, Janet, you're part of the prayer ministry. Yeah. Yeah, good. There's more of you. Come on. We're not going to keep you long, but I do want to pray for you. That's it. Just face me. Yeah. Yeah, just face me, guys. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said that you would build your church and you said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Lord God, I thank you for this expression of the local body of Christ. I thank you for those that in 1957 got together and said we're going to start a new church and God we just acknowledge that we can't build the church without your help without your anointing without your grace without your favor without your supply God we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves but you do and God right now I speak a Holy Ghost anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage I speak a Holy Ghost anointing in the name of Jesus you file afflicting, tormenting spirits. 
Devil, you may come in one way, but you've got to flee seven ways. And we speak blessings to the house of God at Evangel. God, we speak blessings to this house of God at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road. God, we speak blessings to the house of God. We speak blessings in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for souls. I thank you for the souls. He that wins souls is wise. Give us souls, Lord. Give us souls like never before. God, we ask for souls. We ask for souls. And God, I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Ryan's vision for discipling. God, I thank you for, for his vision for discipling. And God, I thank you that people are not gonna, they're not gonna be newborns, Lord, just perishing outside the womb, but they're gonna be cared for and they're gonna be discipled and they're gonna be nurtured and they're gonna grow in the knowledge and in the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, I thank you that here at Evangel that the saints are making their calling and their election sure. And Lord God, I thank you for using them. God, I'm asking you to use everybody in this house. Lord God, I'm asking you to use everybody in this house for your purposes. And Lord, I thank you that this church is a shining, is a shining lighthouse. God, I thank you that this church is a shining lighthouse. And God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, that the Holy Ghost is drawing people who drive up and down old Bainbridge and high roads. The Holy Ghost is speaking to hearts and people are saying, you know, I want to just check out that church. I want to be a part of it. And God, I ask for more laborers. God, I'm asking for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laborers. God, I'm asking for hundreds of people that have the gift of helps and the gifts of service. Lord God, I'm asking for hundreds of people, Lord God, that'll come and lift up the hands of these pastors, lift up the hands of, of, of Lord God, these, these lay leaders. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And God, I thank you that no weapon formed against them can prosper. Oh, Jesus. I thank you that no weapon formed against them can prosper that every tongue lifted against them, they shall show to be in the wrong, for this is their heritage. And their righteousness is from you. Pastor Ryan, I hear that scripture that says, those that sow in tears will reap in joy. And you've not said a word to me. I want everybody to hear me. Pastor Ryan has not said a word to me about this, but I just know as I know, so I'm standing here, <laughs> that you sp you've shed a lot of tears over Evangel in your year since you've come. You've shed a lot of tears. And I just remind you those tears are kept in a bottle. And God is not, He is not forgetful. <laughs> but those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Those that sow in tears will reap in joy. I thank you. I thank you for joyful reaping. I thank you for joyful reaping in the house of the Lord. I thank you for joyful reaping in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for it. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Lord God, you see everything that Donnie and Nancy have been through this past year. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We speak complete healing and wholeness to our brother. We speak complete healing and wholeness. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Nancy, he binds the brokenhearted and he sets at liberty the captives. And I know you've lost your mama. And I know then Pastor Don has gone through this and you lost other family members. And I just thank you, Jesus, because you're the glory and the lifter of Nancy's head. And the steps of a righteous person are ordered of you. And the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Thank you that she's on a bright path. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, shana malayana malayidi o koparashate kaparashidi o koparasiyam. Oh, shana malayidi o komanasiyam. Wes, I was thinking about your daddy the other day, thinking about how much I miss Roger. And I know if I miss Roger that you miss him hugely, and so does Margie, and so does your sister. So does Susan and your kids. And I just speak healing and wholeness to your heart. I speak healing and wholeness to your heart in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Shana Malayidi, O Koparasiya Parasiya. He's worthy of it all. Can you sing that, Grant? It's the wrong key, but you want to change the keys?
for from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory. Just tell him he's worthy again, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. And to you are all things, you deserve the glory. I want to take just a moment and, uh, and then we'll dismiss. But I want, to take a, I want to take a moment, a discipleship moment. I think it's important that as a pastor that we take moments like these because they don't happen very often. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of times we're a part of a lot of different churches. And I think it's important that you recognize that what you've experienced today in this service is not normal. Um, it's not normal that, uh, that you have a pastor that follows a pastor that's been here for 18 years and there's a relationship. It's a father-son, spiritually father-son kind of relationship where when the pastor steps down and he passes the baton, he sets up the church for the transition, which Pastor Terrell did two, for two Sundays. And we were watching online because we didn't want to come in yet because we wanted this to be Pastor Terrell's moment and just the way that he helped the church kind of transition, you know, through that. And then today, the opportunity to come back and then to have him kind of almost like a fatherly blessing as, as he had the team come forward and begin getting to pray. And, and just a true heart for Andrea and I that, that God would use us in the way that he sees fit. Is a, it's a kingdom thing that you don't see that often. And I think it's important that we just kind of recognize how special um, this moment is and how special it is of what God is doing, that, that our church has a long history and there's been many pastors and that we recognize that it's not about one man or one woman, it's about God. And we all serve a purpose for a season and God is the one that chooses how long that is and what that looks like and as we look back in the rearview mirror of evangel there's a lot of different giftings and personalities pastor Terrell operated in an anointing and a gifting that is different than what I operated in different than what pastor Brown operated in and and on and on and it's such a beautiful snapshot of the kingdom of God as in Corinthians there's one body in many parts. And we often look at that a lot about out here, but it's, that's a snapshot of what pastoral ministry and a succession plan and, and a kingdom handoff is all about. And uh, Pastor Terrell and Kathy, we love you guys so much. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious.
We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.